CC, I hope you guys are doing well and having an awesome morning of worship. I'm praying for you. As you sit there, I am uh, finishing up my day with our team here in East Asia. And I just ask that you continue to keep us in your thoughts and in your prayers over the next week, asking God to do great things through our team among the people here at East Asia as we minister, as we serve, as we share the gospel with our lips and with our life among a people who is largely unreached and whom have responded with a lot of unbelief in the gospel. So please pray for us in this wonderful opportunity that we have this week. I am so thrilled and privileged to welcome this morning to ICC Wade Akins. He is a dear friend of our church, part of our family, and he is a great mentor in life and in ministry to me. I love Wade and his wife Barbara so much, and I'm so thankful and amazed at how God continues to use them all over the world in his church planning movement. They are with us this morning to continue our series, His Name Is, and I just pray that you listen to the Word of God as Wade brings his word this morning. I know you will be blessed. I love you all. I cannot wait to see you next Sunday. Have a great morning. Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you again. I get to come here a couple of times a year. You know that uh, I've been a missionary now for over 40 years. And um, I lived in Brazil for almost 20 of those years, served in uh, Vietnam in 1968 as a missionary. I was not a soldier, for those of you who, who don't know me. And uh, currently, we base in Memphis here, and we continue our ministry around the world. I just got back from Malaysia, and Friday I leave for Brazil, and then we get back, we go down to East uh, Africa into Tanzania, and then we'll come back and go to West Africa, Benin, Ivory Coast, and then to India, and that'll complete the year. So it is uh, always a joy to be here at ICC. Your church sponsors us. You, we're one of your adopted missionaries, and we appreciate you so much. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 5. Matthew, chapter 5. Brother Barrett asked me to speak on a topic today. He gave you the topic to speak on because he's, wa he's walking you through a series of studies on the names of God. And today, the name of God is righteousness, the righteousness of God. And I don't know of a single trait or characteristic or attribute of God that focuses in on the heart and the center of the gospel of Jesus Christ than this one. And I'm going to explain that to you very carefully here today because there are many names in God, but this name goes to the very, very heart of the gospel. Let's look at the passage, Matthew chapter 5. I want you to see what Jesus had to say about this particular topic. He said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And that word blessed means happy. People all over the world, I mean, in every nation of the world, every part of this planet Earth, people want to be happy. How many of you want to be happy? Certainly you want to be happy. Every person I've ever known, ever met, wants to have joy in their life. They want to have peace in their heart. I don't care what religion they come from, what race they come from, what continent they come from, what ethnic group they come from, every single person in the entire world wants to have peace and joy and 
happiness while they're living on earth. That's the one common denominator that all people have. And many people seek this happiness and seek this peace in the wrong places. And they seek it in money. And I'm not going to go into all that, but they seek it in pleasure. Some people seek it in fame. And, and ex good examples of how money, fame, and fortune will never, you can never buy your happiness and peace and joy with all of that. Let's just look at some of the common names of famous people we know. Let's start right here in Memphis. Uh, who's the most famous celebrity that's ever lived here? We all know his name is what? Elvis Presley. And uh, I grew up as a young man listening to Elvis Presley. Elvis was from Tupelo, Mississippi, and I remember when I first heard about Elvis, I was in junior high, and I went home and I told my dad, I said, Dad, there's a young man named Elvis Presley He's making a million dollars singing, and my dad laughed. He said, that's ridiculous. Nobody can make a million dollars singing, and he was wrong, of course. <laughs> he made millions, didn't he? And he was famous. You can go anywhere in the world and people know about him. He was an actor, he was a singer, he was a sex symbol. He's called the king of rock and roll. And yet, Elvis Presley was addicted to prescription drugs and he eventually died of a heart attack brought on by his long-term drug abuse when he was only 42 years of age. I remember, I was in uh, Washington, D.C. My wife and I were missionaries in, in Washington, the nation's capital, for 10 years. And I was going through a parking lot of a grocery store and I heard it on the radio where Elvis Presley had just died here at the Baptist Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. Here are some names you may not know. Tim Harding, you ever heard of him? He was a singer. He was a, a well-known singer and songwriter. He sang a song back when I was uh, uh, out of college and out of seminary and during the Vietnam War. If I were a carpenter, he died of overdose of heroin combined with morphine. There was Donna Lane Luna. I never heard of her, but she was a famous African-American supermodel, the first black woman to ever cover, be on the cover of Vogue magazine. She, she starred in several films, and yet she died of drug overdose when she was only 30 years old. You ever heard of Janis Joplin, an American singer and songwriter? He began his solo career, solo career and a great, big, huge festival that none of you were probably around, but I was, called Woodstock up in New York during the Vietnam War. Thousands and thousands of people came, hung out there for days, and they had all kinds of uh, drugs and sex and so forth. And he got his career started there at Woodstock, but he died at the age of 27 of drugs and alcohol. Jimi Hendrix, you ever heard of him? Another famous singer and guitar player. He's inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and holds a star in the Hollywood Sidewalk Hall of Fame. And yet, he also made a big hit up at Woodstock. And yet, he experimented with LSD and marijuana speed, sleeping pills, and therefore he died as a result in his own vomit while he was asleep. Judy Garland's another one. Marilyn Monroe. Whitney Houston, one of my most favorite singers to this very day. When I do walking, I walk a whole lot, and I listen to Whitney Houston's uh, music while I'm walking. Michael Jackson, another one, died of a long list of drugs in his system. And Jesus said, 
if you want to have happiness and you want to have peace and you want to have joy, the way to have it is to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Now, what does that mean? When you look at the Bible, there are two types of righteousness in the Bible. I want to explain these to you. This is not going to be a very long sermon, but I want to explain it to you. The first kind of righteousness means sinless perfection. That's what we call the righteousness of God. There's only one perfect person. That would be correct. That would be Jesus Christ, God Himself, never sinned. And yet, Jesus said, if you'll hunger and thirst after righteousness, then you'll be filled. You'll be happy. You'll be joyful. You'll have that peace that you want. So what is He talking about? Since it's impossible for any person to absolutely become sinless perfection, I can't, you can't, I don't know anyone else that can, then what does he mean? I want to explain this to you by telling you a true story. My mother is 94 years old, 93 years old, she'll be 94 in October, and so when I get a chance, I get to go see her. She lives in Monroe, Louisiana. So this past week, I spent some time with my mom. She's in a nursing home, of course, but while I'm not visiting with her, I go up to the university and I do my exercise. And there's quite a number of people up there doing their walking around the track and, and I love to go up there because I get to meet a lot of people. And uh, I was walking around the track and <clears throat> there was a lady over there and she was tying our shoes and I said, oh, your shoes, I said, I see you got your shoes untied. I said, I saw your shoes were untied and now you're getting them all tied up. She said, oh, yeah, 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 so I got to talking. I said, how, how far you walk? And she told me, she said, how far you walk? And I let her know. And then we started walking together because I'd already finished all the major cardio stuff and I was just kind of lapping it. And so we got to talking and got to talking about her life and got to talking about what she does and all of that. And, and uh, she was uh, a very intelligent lady and uh, was in the Army Reserves, graduated from university, going back for another degree and so forth. And finally, uh, I got around to asking her about her spiritual life. And uh, asked her, you know, do you go to church here or wherever? And began to ask her some things on a deeper level rather than just a surface level. And she said, you know, I want to be baptized. And so I began to explain, well, there's more to it than just going down to the river and getting washed in the river because, you know, you can. A lot of people do that. They get the dirt washed off their body, but baptism will never take wash away your sins because sin is an inward thing and dirt is an outward thing. And it's the baptism is just a symbol. And so here's what I shared with her. I said, you know, God is perfect, isn't he? He's holy. He's never sinned. But I asked her, I said, have you ever committed a sin? You ever disobey God? Well, of course I have. And I said, you know what happens is this, this causes a barrier between you and God. The one thing that's between you and God is sin. It's not church. It's not your baptism, not being baptized. It's sin. And all of sin comes short of the glory of God. And then I explained to her, I said, you know, some people try to get to know God try to go to heaven after they die by all kinds of ways. I said, you know, some people want to go to church. They go join a church, and they say, well, now that's taken care of. But you know what? I don't know of a single church in America or the whole world that can wash away your sins. And I said, you know, some people do it by baptism. But here again, you know, that could wash away your dirt off your body, but it will never take sin out of your heart. I said, you know, the only way to get sin out of your life I said, you've got to get that barrier between you and God out. 
Because there's a huge barrier between you and God, and that is all the sin you've ever committed from, from early childhood until the day you die. And, you know, that pretty mounts up to a whole bunch for most of us. And unfortunately, many people think, well, God's got a scale up there, and if my good stuff outweighs my bad stuff, then maybe I'm going to get in. But, you know, the Bible says, uh-uh, that's not the way it happens because there's a payment for sin. And unfortunately, that payment is not all your good stuff on this side of the scale. And unfortunately, that payment is not your church membership and it's not your baptism. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And so there's only one payment that God will accept for sin, and that is death, and it's death by blood. And then I explained to this young lady, I said, you know, that's why Christ came. I said, you know why Jesus came? You know, she didn't know. Lives here in America. She didn't know. She knows that he came. She says, well, he came for us. That's kind of a general thing. Well, he died. But why did he die on a cross? I don't know, she said. Why did he have to die there on a cross? I don't know. And then I began to explain to her, he died on a cross because the payment for sin is death. And he died to pay for your sins. So when Jesus died on that cross, I explained to this young lady, I said, you know what happened? Jesus, God, if you accept Christ as your Savior and Lord into your life, you invite Jesus in your heart. And I said, you know what happened? God would take all your sins and put them on Jesus as if Jesus had done everything wrong you've ever done. And the Bible says, and the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. So when Christ was crucified that day, he took everything you've ever done wrong, everything you will ever do wrong in your entire life, and he put them on Jesus as if Jesus had done all the bad things you've ever done. All the little lies you've told, any, other, any, moral, any immoral sins you may have committed. He has put all of that on Jesus Christ as if Jesus were guilty of it, and then God punished him, and he condemned him to death. And that is why he died on the cross. He died on the cross and shed his blood as a payment for everything you've done. But then I went on and said this. But there's another aspect to this that we don't sometimes think about. I said, you know, Jesus is perfectly righteous. You know, Jesus never sinned. He's God. Now think about this. The righteousness of Jesus Christ is in Him. And the moment you receive Jesus into your life as your Lord and your Savior, you know what happens? God takes the righteousness of Jesus out of Him and puts it in you. It's like doing a surgery. Some of y'all are medical students and you're going to be surgeons. You do surgeons. You give a new heart transplant. Maybe you're going to be a heart surgeon. God gives you a heart transplant. He gives you a brand new heart. He doesn't take the old one and do that. He gives you a new one. And so what God does, He takes the righteousness of Jesus and He puts it inside you. And so when you are, that's what we call being saved, and when you receive Christ, here is what happens. God exchanges all of your sins for the righteousness of Christ. He takes your sins out of you and He puts them on Jesus and He takes the righteousness of Jesus and He implants it inside your life. 
So when you die with Christ in your life, and you go before God on Judgment Day, and we all will, you know what God's going to see? He is not going to see a single sin you've ever committed. That may be surprising to some of you, but that's the honest truth. If, you're, if you've given your life to Christ and Christ is in your heart, because you know what He's going to see? He's going to see only one thing, the righteousness of Jesus, not yours, but the righteousness of Jesus in you. And that's what it means to be saved. That's what it means to be a Christian. There are many people who try to put definitions on what it means to be a Christian. You know, some people have a political definition of it. Some people have this definition of it. But let me tell you what the real true definition is. Christ has my sins and He put in me His righteousness. Now that's what you call pardon. And the Bible says, He who has the Son has life. And he who does not have the Son does not have life. Because why? Because now you've got all the sins on yourself. You're bearing it on your own. You're trying to make it through your good works. And it'll never happen because the wages of sin is death. And that's the only payment God will accept. And that's why Jesus Christ is the only Savior and the only way to be saved. It's because only He bore your sins and only He can put the righteousness of God in your heart. And so what Jesus is saying here is this. If you don't have real peace and real joy and real happiness, you don't know for sure. And let me tell you, you can't live with a happy life here until you know where you're going after you die. It's impossible. And if you don't know for sure that you've got eternal life and you're going to spend eternity in heaven with God, Jesus is saying, you need to hunger and thirst after righteousness. But what kind of righteousness? Christ in me, the hope of glory. Not my righteousness that I can muster up, but the righteousness that Jesus will put into me. So the first kind of righteousness in the Bible is the righteousness of God. And when he's saying here, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled, what he's saying is, look, you cannot be righteous on your own effort, but the grace and mercy and the love of God will put the righteousness of Christ in your life. Amen. That's the number one. Now, the second type of righteousness. It's called, as mentioned here, it's in the Bible. There's two types. One is sinless perfection, the righteousness of God, the righteousness of Christ, and God puts that righteousness in us at salvation. Now, what about all the people that are saved? You have Christ. Christ is in your life. And let me say this before I move to the second one. If Jesus Christ is in your life, you can mark it down. Your sins are forgiven. You have an eternal pardon from sin and the righteousness of Jesus Christ is in you. And you can go to bed tonight with peace. And you can live your life with joy. I mean internal joy regardless of our outward circumstance because you are right with God. But here's the second type of righteousness in the Bible. It's what we call right living. It's doing the right thing. Now, when a Christian does the right thing, 
what he's doing is he's reflecting the character of God that's in his life. Why do I want to do right? Why do I want to do that? Why do I want to give my tithe? Why do I want to give my offering? Why do I want to be faithful to my wife? Why do I want to be faithful to my children? Why do I want to obey the law? Why do I want to be a good citizen? Why do I want to be a moral and ethical person? Not to get anything from God. Not to try to get God's approval. I've already got that. Christ is in me. You know why? Because Christ is in me and because He lives in me, a natural result, a natural consequence of Christ's righteousness in me is I want to do the right thing. And that's a reflection on the character of God. When I started preaching, I was a young boy, about 15 years of age. and I was down in Louisiana, and I preached in these country churches, you know, and all of that. And I, I, I love, you know what I'd do? I'd, I'd go into, I'd go where the sinners are. The, sin, the Christians are at the church, so I'd go where the sinners are. The sinners are in the bars, the nightclubs. I'd go in the bars and nightclubs. Now, I wouldn't drink a beer or nothing. I'd just sit down and drink a Coke. And every time, they would say, you know why I don't go to church, preacher? I said, why is that? Let's call them hypocrites down there. Well, none of us are perfect. Every single one of us are going to be hypocritical at some point in our life. Let's just be honest about it. But let me tell you, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to have failures. You're going to do things wrong, even after you're saved. I mean, you're just, we're talking about reality. But let me tell you this, the heart of a real born-again saved Christian, Christ in me, is that that is never his ultimate desire. He doesn't, you know what God does? Some guy, one guy said, you know, I'll just get saved, then I'm saved forever, then I'll just go live like hell. I'll just live in sin, I'll just do what I want to and party it up until I die and I'm already saved. You know what? That person never knows Christ. I said, yeah, you can sin, you can sin all you want to. Because you know what happens when Christ comes in? He changes your want-tos. And if you don't have a want-to change, then maybe you got a head religion and Christ is not in you. And so when Christ comes into your heart, He changes your want-tos. And one of the want-tos He changes is, I want to do the right thing. I want to live a moral and ethical life, not to get salvation, but because I have it. And that is a major difference that has divided the Christian world today. The Christian world is divided into two parts. Those who think righteous, ethical, moral living will gain their salvation and those who say, no, we, not, we don't deserve it. We receive it. It's a gift. Christ gives it to us and I live a moral and ethical life because I have it. Which side of the fence are you on? The Bible teaches Christ in me is the hope of glory. Christ in me is forgiveness. Christ in me is salvation. And as a result of that, I want to live out my life reflecting the righteous character of God. And as a Christian, here's what Jesus says. Blessed are those Christians, let's just throw that in there, who hunger and thirst after doing the right thing because then you will be filled.
What's it mean to hunger and thirst? <clears throat> well, I'll give you another personal illustration. <clears throat> Down in Louisiana, it's hotter than it is here in Memphis. Can you believe that? It's colder here and hotter there. And in August is the hottest month. And when I was in high school, <clears throat> I played football, American football. Now, some of you who are maybe from other countries, you don't know what that is. In soccer, at least you get to wear a t-shirt and shorts. In American football, you have to wear a helmet, shoulder pads, and hip pads, thigh pads. And I'm telling you, when you put all that on, on August 15th, which is the first day of practice down there, and it's 100 degrees of heat, you are unbelievably hot. Now, back in those days, I know you can't hardly imagine this today, but back in those days, you know what? We would practice two and a half hours in that excruciating heat in the morning and another two to two and a half in the afternoon, and in those days, the coaches did not believe in drinking water during practice. I can't, I one of my old friends that I haven't seen in a long time, we played together on the same team. We were talking about that this week. I called him up, hadn't seen him in a decade, had lunch together. He says, I don't know how any of us survived it. I don't know. I really do not know how we lived through that. You would totally dehydrate. For those of you in the medical field, you know that. But we did. In fact, I got so thirsty. This is kind of gross. But I'd get so thirsty, I'd take my T-shirt full of sweat and suck it to get moisture in it. <laughs> That's... Thirsty. <laughs> That's being thirsty. Of course, back in those days, we didn't have air conditions. We'd go on a vacation from Louisiana to New Mexico, drive all the way across that hot state of Texas, roll the window down. We had a four... 60 air conditioning, all four windows down, driving 60 miles an hour. <laughs> Hang our feet out the window and just suffer through it. That's the only thing you could do. And I, until this day, I have never suffered anything so physically enduring as I did during those hot August summer days. But you know one thing that happened? one day, and a lot of guys quit. They couldn't make it. That's why we had a real small team. <laughs> if you went out, you probably were going to play if you could survive the first two weeks. And I remember one day I was out there, and I was so hot, I was so thirsty, I bent over and I said, I'm going to quit. I can't take this anymore. And you know, this is just a sad thing. You know what happened to me? Now, this was over 50 years ago, and I had no idea I'd go and I was going to be a missionary. But God spoke to me on that football field one day, and here's what he said. He said, if you quit this, someday you're going to be a missionary, and it's going to get rough on the mission field, and you'll quit then too. I mean, that thought came in my mind. And I didn't quit, but I wanted and that's what it means to thirst. Jesus said, 
if you hunger and you thirst for doing the right thing because the righteousness of Christ is in you, then you'll be filled. And in today's world, let's be honest, it is really difficult for a Christian to do the right thing a lot of times. Employers want you to lie. They may want you to steal. They may want you to cheat. They want you to fudge a little bit. And a lot of you young professionals are going to be put into real moral, ethical crisis situations because of that. But Jesus said, if you are thirst after righteousness, like you thirst after water, and if you'll hunger after righteousness, like you hunger after food, I mean, you're starving. If you'll hunger, he says, I guarantee you, you'll be filled. You will be, have joy and peace and happiness in your life because you're doing the right thing. There was a young man who came to Socrates in Athens. And he asked this older man, Socrates, he said, how can I find wisdom? And Socrates said, come with me. And he set off through the streets. The young man followed him quickly. <clears throat> Socrates walked through the city gates down to the harbor. He waded out into the deep seawater. And the young man followed him out there. And without warning, Socrates suddenly turned around on that young man. He grabbed him by the neck and he forced his head under the water. Clawing and fighting, the young man finally freed himself from Socrates' grasp and he breathed, he caught his breath and he said to Socrates, why did you do that? All I asked was help to find me wisdom. Why would you want to drown? And Socrates said, friend, when you want wisdom as desperately as you want air, you'll find it. And I say to you today, when you want peace and joy and happiness in the right place, and that's the righteousness of Christ in you, and then living out a righteous life, reflecting his character, you're going to find that peace and joy and happiness that all of us want. There is, you're not going to find it in any other place in the world. Let's pray. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to ask you a question. Do you know Christ in your life? If you die tonight, do you know for sure you'll go to heaven? If not, I can assure you, you don't have real peace. You may pretend it. But down deep, it's not there. Because the only way is for Christ to take your sins away, forgive you, and put his righteousness in you. And today, some of you may need that. You say, what have I got to do to get Christ in my life? One, realize you've sinned against God and you cannot save yourself. 
to believe that Jesus died on that cross and rose from the dead for your sins. And He's alive right now. And He wants to live in your heart. Three, are you willing to turn your life over to Him? Let Him be your God, Lord, Savior. If so, by faith, you can pray and ask Jesus to come into your heart right now. It's not prayer that saves you, it's Jesus. But you can pray a prayer like this. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Put your righteousness in me. Forgive me of my sins. And from this day forward, be my Lord and Savior. I receive you. In Christ's name, amen.